Welcome to another episode of the Ask a Chair podcast. My name is Hamza Ajaz. I'm a resident at the University of Cincinnati. And today we're joined by Dr. Azita Hamidani, who is a department chair of emergency medicine at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yes, definitely. So let's just kind of start at the beginning about what first drew you to emergency medicine for our listeners. Well, I guess it all started um, when my parents started talking to me about, well, you know, what are you going to do with your life? They're both PhDs in the basic sciences, and they said you have to really master a body of knowledge. The more I thought about it, the more I realized there was no better body of knowledge to master than medicine. Um, I've always wanted to be the person who helps when people ask for help. Um, whenever there was a problem from the time that I was, I think, like five, six, seven years old. So I went to medical school wanting to learn that body of knowledge that would allow me to help anyone, any place, anytime, anything. It wasn't until I did my rotations that I realized that it's not just being a doctor that allows you to do that, but you uniquely have to be an emergency physician. And probably kind of what brought that home for me was one day on a cardiothoracic rotation, I asked the CT surgeon, hey, if you were on a plane and someone said, you know, we need help, would you raise your hand? And he surprisingly said no. And here was kind of the epitome of of uh, what was considered the master clinician at my medical school. I said, why not? Why not if they need your help? And he said, the last time I ran a code was open cardiac massage. And so after that, I said, um, no matter what, I have to go into emergency medicine. But this was back at a time when it was very unpopular to go into emergency medicine. So actually, when I told my dean, dean of students, um, that I planned to manage in emergency medicine, initially she resisted. Um, actually for quite some time until I convinced her that, you know, kind of the future of healthcare would be revolving around an emergency department. So that was about 20 years ago, yeah. Right on, yeah. I mean, the some of the themes that you mentioned about anyone, anywhere, anytime, you know, that part is still true to our, you know, National Emergency Medicine a few years ago. Those are some of the same themes that I was thinking about as well, where I don't have to worry about some of the financial aspects of you know, the patient population and what they are able to pay for or not, all I really worry about is the medicine trying to help the person in front of me. Uh, so I think that's definitely very true to this day, and I hope that it continues to be true in the move, uh, moving forward as well. Absolutely. So touching a little bit more about some of your background and some of your education, uh, I know that you have a medical degree as well. Um, on top of that, you've got a master's in public health. You then proceeded to get a master's in business administration as well. So talk to me a little bit more about what motivated you over your career to pursue some of these advanced degrees in addition to your doctorate degree, of course. Sure. So as I just mentioned, I went to emergency medicine to help save lives, right? Um, but the second year of medical school, and back when it was like two years preclinical before two years clinical, we started learning about all these modifiable risk factors, so hypertension, diabetes, obesity, smoking, hypercholesterol as well as, you know, kind of a startling fact for me, which was the number one cause of cognitive delay in the United States, a neonatal cognitive delay is fetal alcohol syndrome. And all of that put together made me realize, well, public health is really where you can make a difference in people's lives. So I actually went to my dean of students and asked to drop out of medical school. So I was kind of a pain, um, even back then. Uh, the recommendation was, you know what, why don't you take a break between your second and third year and pursue an MPH. Usually MPHs are done after your third year, after you've kind of solidified your clinical. But since I was that close to dropping out, um, they allowed this leniency for me to go. I went and I learned all the stuff that now is within the medical student curriculum, whether it's epidemiology or policy or biostatistics, even to be able to read the literature better, healthcare finance, 
Fortunately, um, a lot of that has become part of the medical student curriculum, medical school curriculum, but back then it was really eye-opening to me. So I'm very grateful that I was given that opportunity. The only problem with public health is it's woefully underfunded. And I realized that being a physician, you probably carried influence and weight and could make a difference um, more than just having an MPH. So I went back and I finished my two years. Actually, my first rotation back was emergency medicine. And I loved it so much that I assumed everyone loved it and I better keep doing other rotations. And it wasn't until like near the, after my second um, sub-I in internal medicine that I saw a classmate who looked like deer out of, um, deer in headlights in the emergency room. I was like, what's wrong? And he's like, it's so chaotic, it's loud, it's noisy. Seeing his discomfort in our environment solidified for me, this is for me. So emergency medicine became kind of my clinical home, but what I learned in um, my year of getting my master's became more kind of that non-clinical interest that I I pursued. Okay, very interesting. So touching a little bit more about, you mentioned that you're very very pro-fellowship or pro-fellows, and you know, we've touched a little bit about uh, the administrative fellowships. What do you think are some of the benefits that fellows can get in general when they consider getting a fellowship? I had a unique opportunity with my fellowship where it was out of the CEO's office, and he basically helped, told me I could help craft it. Um, and I think that's a luxury we now have in emergency medicine where we don't have so many kind of ordained, you know, cut and paste fellowships. Really, you can craft anything in a year. At UW, we've had fellows do wellness. We've had fellows do news media. Um, we've had a variety of different fellowships. The benefit of being a fellow is that every door is open to you. I have never knocked on a door and said, hey, do you mind if my fellow comes in and joins this meeting or joins this committee and had the answer be no, even the most sensitive discussions, because kind of the understanding is this is a fellow, this is for their learning, it will pay off for all of us in the future. So I kind of look at fellowship as kind of being that boost that makes you advanced for your professional age. So it's, it's a one-year investment that pays off dividends for sure. Great. That's, that's very helpful advice. You know, that's some sage advice there by uh, some experts, of course. Um, and thinking a little bit more about, you're saying you're the founding chair at your institution for Department of Emergency Medicine. And that's a, now that emergency medicine is a growing specialty, it's been around for 50 plus years approximately. What are like some of the challenges that either you experienced uh, while you're creating a Department of Emergency Medicine or that you've heard other chairs have experienced while starting their own Department of Emergency Medicine? Well, I feel very fortunate. As I mentioned, when I applied to emergency medicine, my dean didn't want me to go into emergency medicine. Uh, Fast forward to me going to um, University of Wisconsin, the dean actually came to our department and said, too many of our best and brightest students are going into emergency medicine and we don't have a program. So the nidus of our department was actually the residency program. Wisconsin has only two medical schools, but we're the state institution. And there is kind of there was kind of a brain drain of emergency physicians leaving the state because at that time Milwaukee's program had only nine slots. So the dean came to us with the mandate of starting a residency program. Well, once we started working on the residency program, we realized the best way to make it a good residency program is to build all the infrastructure and making it a good department. So we kind of retrofitted program we had there to try to optimize and make the residency program as strong as possible. With all that went into that, so getting research up and going, education up and going, kind of improving our clinical operations, it became a no-brainer to everyone that we deserved kind of academic status. So um, the chair of medicine, we were a division within medicine, supported it. The other chair supported it. The dean wanted it, um, and the chancellor approved it. 
but you know, you had asked about my other degree, the MBA. I really got the MBA more based on advice a mentor gave me, which was, you know, you're kind of too young not to get one because eventually first the positions you're eyeing in the future, it will become a necessary requirement, not just a optional requirement in the job descriptions. And so I was trying to figure out, well, do I do it before my kids' teenage years or do I do it after my kids' teenage years? Well, I'm glad I did it before um, those teenage years uh, because it helped significantly with the departmental status because ultimately, you know, when when it was the final approval, it came down to the finances and there was a mistake in how our overhead allocation was being attributed to us. And I would have never picked that up if I hadn't had a whole class on overhead allocation during business school. So it was very beneficial. Wow, very interesting, very interesting there. Now you've obviously touched on a lot of the growths that your department has gone on over the years that it's been a department, and which requires obviously a very fine balance of your schedule, you know, you're raising your kids as well, as you've mentioned as well. So for the listeners, what kind of advice would you provide to, uh, to us uh, regarding work-life balance or work-life integration? Sure. So the best advice I got was actually from the chair of OBGYN um, when I was just a couple years um, on faculty. And her advice was outsource everything, outsource ruthlessly, you know, like extensively, just anything other than things that are core to you. And uh, for me, what was core was the kids. Uh, Everything else was outsourced. We are lucky that we kind of end up being in the income bracket where you can buy back time based on kind of getting external support. And so that was probably the best advice I got. We were stuck into kind of the traditional models, like do you get a nanny, do you get a housekeeper? But these days, especially now post-COVID, I think so many people are looking for different kind of hours and lifestyles and and, and um, probably opportunities that you probably will think, oh, we just have this crazy family dynamic, but there will be someone else who will actually fit your crazy family dynamic and it could be a good kind of um, relationship for both of you, helpful to them and helpful to yourself. So that would be the, that was advice I got. The advice I would give is um, be organized. I know that sounds stupid, but, or simple, but it's amazing how many of um, the people I know kind of only think of their horizon as what, what are my deliverables? What are my due dates in the next six months to a year? But I would actually challenge yourself to start looking at longer horizons the benefit of that is you start knowing what to say yes to and what to say no to and they always say part of success is what you say no to so when you have a clear sense of what am i doing this year next year where am i going it's easier to make some of those decisions that with a narrower narrower scope may be harder to make okay so i'm just, just to clarify essentially like once you have a big picture idea of where you're heading or where you're trying to head to your trajectory then you can start figuring out the smaller buckets in terms of the next month, the next three months, in terms of what projects to potentially say yes or no to. Um, and as a, when I was an early, you know, intern and you know, junior resident, it was you know, I came to residency saying, you know, eyes wide open, say yes to everything. And then you know, being involved with SAM and Rams, I've come to realize that a lot of obviously leadership responsibilities, you have to start figuring out when to say no and what opportunities you can say no to just to benefit, you know, obviously all the different uh, responsibilities and not dropping a ball, you know, personally. And you actually said the key, which is dropping a ball. So you, I don't believe in work-life balance, not even integration. I think it's really, you know, all your aspects of life are like different balls and they're all fragile balls. And your skill set becomes knowing when to catch the ball at the right time before it kind of falls. And at different times in your life, it's going to be different things. 
it's very directly applicable to what we do in the emergency department. Yeah, I feel like, you that know, is true. It's the constantly juggling back and forth, figuring out what's the next task that needs to be addressed before you move on to the next one. Exactly. It's very helpful. And then I just also want to touch a little bit more about, you've alluded to this in terms of potentially considering advanced degrees, but for the listeners, the residents, and that fellows who are then thinking about looking for their first job, whether academic or not, what are what do you what do you look for? What do other chairs look for um, within the academic setting when they're considering for a new hire? So I've um, been very fortunate to recruit really well because we've grown um, pretty significantly in a short period of time and have done really well in a lot of arenas. So my kind of uh, approach, which I'm going to stick to it because it's worked has been to hire for potential more than experience, right? Hire for talent, and then you can kind of groom that talent. So for me, kind of the number one thing is, does this person have good follow through? And you can assess that in many, any, many different ways and ask questions, you know, um, to figure that out. Second is, are they driven and motivated, right? Uh, especially in my shop, there is no FaceTime. It's just, what do you deliver, right? Like, what do you, uh, what's your added value? Then experience starts to matter, right? And so references end up being really important. And I think sometimes people minimize references. And so I always speak to a direct supervisor. And it's, it's amazing. Like as soon as you hear, oh, this person's like the last person to turn in their compliance requirements, that's not someone that you know, you're eager to hire. Um, but if you hear someone describe the person as hardworking, organized, diligent, any one of those you know, adjectives, really motivated for the right reasons, that's the other thing. I think you can pretty quickly, especially for administrative roles, I often, we often, since so many of our medical directors have gone on to institutional roles, so it seems like I'm always like hiring another medical director. And if you ask, this, if you ask the applicants, you know, what makes them interested, if their answer has to do with kind of the power, the position, or the prestige, that's a definite no. But if it's about how can I improve the environment around me, then you know they're motivated for the right reasons. Perfect. That's that's very helpful, I think, you know, for myself and then for the countless listeners as well. So thank you for that. Um, I think that's all the time that we have for our interview today. Uh, so Dr. Hamidani, thank you so much for you know, sparing your time. Of course. Uh, really appreciate you having me here on the podcast. So thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for doing this.